Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 97 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. We've got a lot to talk about in this episode as we look forward to the Giants' first preseason game. Camp is fully underway uh, out in East Rutherford. The first depth chart has been released, so we'll go through that and talk about the battles and, and just how the Giants are looking Early on in this training camp. And guys, we have a, a special announcement here before we, we really get rolling in the conversation. We're going to invite all of you, all of our listeners, to come out and hang out with us. Red's Restaurant and Bar in Carlstadt. We're going to do a live show on Monday, August 28th at 7 p.m. So right as camp and the preseason is winding down and we start looking forward to the regular season, we're going to be there, the three of us, and we're going to have a great time hanging out with you guys. 7 p.m. will be there on Monday the 28th. We're going to have tickets to a regular season game. And we're also going to be joined by Jonathan Casillas. So you get Casillas, you get tickets to a game, you get us. James, I'm not sure if there's a, there's a better deal out there if you're looking to do something on uh, Monday the 28th. No, of course not, Joe. And obviously the occasion for this all is we are coming up on the 100th episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. That's I don't right. think – I certainly haven't been around for all of them. I think, Joe, you've probably been around the most of any of us. But, uh, you know – 100 episode of talk is cheap, so we figured we should do it up big, and uh, I think this is going to be pretty fun. It is. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I think I, I, there was probably a few weeks here or there. I just I wasn't around and I was out, but for the most part, I've been around for most of these. It, it's crazy. 100 has, has flown by, and obviously um, some of my co-hosts have changed, but the three of us have been doing this together now for now. This will be our second season doing it. Dan, I'm looking forward to this. 100 episodes, and and I'm excited to meet some of our listeners out there. Yeah, I think that's going to be a lot of fun because, you know, we're kind of just voices on a podcast, but you get a chance to come out, uh, like you said, see us do the show. Obviously, we'll be there to talk to people and you get a player out there, too. So it's always fun when you can kind of get a player away from the facility. Uh, I think Casillas is a great guy, a great personality, Jersey guy. So, uh, you know, it's a Monday night looking to maybe score some tickets and, you know, talk Giants football. I can't think of a better thing to do. Yeah, I can't either. It's going to be great. And we'll also have autographed footballs to give away. So a lot of giveaways, especially those game tickets, which we know you guys would love to have. We'll give you more details as we go along the next couple of weeks, but just kind of keep that on your calendar right now. Monday the 28th, Red's Restaurant and Bar in Carlstadt. We're going to be there doing our 100th episode of Talk is Cheap. And James, I'm sure when we have that episode, when we get to that point in the summer, a lot about, about the Giants, a lot about the training camp at preseason will be clear and in the books, and we'll have a good picture of what they are heading into the season. As of today... We kind of have our first picture as the depth chart came out and the Giants are showing us what they think they are right now. What, what did you give me a couple of things that just popped off your top of your head, James, when you saw the unofficial depth chart for the first time? 
Yeah, no, first of all, I just so fans understand, the unofficial depth chart is for the first preseason game, every team in the NFL releases some sort of depth chart. It's it's put together by the public relations staff, so that's why they call it unofficial. Now, that being said, and I'm sure Dan will agree with me, I find it very hard to believe that the Giants PR staff is putting anything out into the world that Ben McAdoo hasn't at least glanced at and signed off on. So I think it's more like semi-official. I don't think it's 100% accurate, but I also don't think that – this is something that is put out there into the world without the coaching staff at least knowing what it says. I just don't think they would put something out there. They would be like, what the heck does that look like? So uh, first thing that jumps off for me, right at the top, I mean, it has Josh Johnson listed as the backup quarterback. Geno Smith is the number three guy. I think they've been pretty even in camp. Uh, both guys have been pretty underwhelming in my opinion. But I think it just kind of goes to show you what we've been saying all along about Josh Johnson having that slight built-in lead over Geno just because he's been here for a year and he knows the system. Uh, that's the truth. I, I, he hasn't really done anything to lose that lead, and I, I think that's why you see him in the depth chart listed as a number two guy. I mean, that's pretty clear that, that you know those two are, are fighting for that job. And I, I guess it's not surprising, uh, Dan, that Davis Webb, the, the pick they made, the quarterback they took out of Cal, is, is buried at fourth. But that just seems the way they're going to do it. So do we think they're going to take one of Josh Johnson and Geno Smith and Davis Webb sits all year? Is that kind of where this is heading? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know fans really want to see Davis Webb as the number two quarterback. I'm not quite really sure why, though. I mean, they drafted this kid as a developmental project. So nothing in the last you know, four months or however long it's been since the draft has changed that. Uh, even the fact that Geno and Josh Smith don't look great. The hope is obviously Eli Manning starts 16 games, never misses a snap, which is, you know, you can kind of rely on that with him. You don't need to accelerate Davis Webb's progress and throw him in over his head that could maybe set him back. I mean, it's a, a long-term view with him that, you know, he probably doesn't play in a game for four years if all goes according to plan. And the hope would be that Geno or Josh Johnson shows enough in the preseason that gives you some confidence that they could step in if, you know, Eli rolls an ankle and misses, a, you know, a half in a game or something like that. Because I think we all know if Eli goes down, this team's in big trouble regardless. But the idea that Davis Webb would be better than Geno or Josh Johnson to step in when this guy is still working on taking snaps. I mean, it's something he didn't even do in college. I mean, think about that. It's a long process with Davis Webb. So uh, the plan has always been for him to be a third quarterback. Uh, the fact that he's not getting any team reps early in camp supports that, that that plan has not changed. So I think, again, the hope is just that one of these other guys shows enough in the preseason to give you some confidence. Um, and it's definitely going to be one of those two. They, they certainly will keep both of them. James, one of the things that jumped out to me was the tight end group and, and not so much where they're listed and how they're listed, but just the names and just the fact they have so much more there than they have in recent years. I mean, we we've had weeks in, in years past where Will Ty was, you know, getting the bulk of catches and now he's you know there at third with Jarrell Adams, Rhett Ellison one, Evan Engram two. It just feels like the tight end group is much deeper this year than it has been in a long time for the Giants. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that Obviously, Red Ellison, they brought him in. They think he's going to make a major impact as a blocker. I do think, you know, it'll be intriguing to see. Remember a couple of years ago when, when Dwayne Harris was signed from the Cowboys, you know, he was a special team guy in, in Dallas. And the Giants said, we're going to give him an opportunity to be a receiver. And his first year, he, he was a pretty key part of the offense, obviously, when Victor Cruz is out. Last year when Cruz came back and they drafted Sterling Shepard, he kind of faded to the background a little bit on offense. I'm intrigued to see if Ellison, who's – never really been used as much of a pass-catching threat, uh, does get a little bit of that role in this offense. And look, the Giants are very high on Evan Ingram, and Ingram had a really good day at practice on Saturday, and everyone's really excited about him. But just anecdotally, 
uh, from the way that we kind of saw them from day one, you know, just throw Sterling Shepard and, and Eli Apple right into the mix last year. I get the feeling that I think Ingram's definitely have a role in this offense, but I don't think that he's going to necessarily be a guy who's out there every snap or he's going to put up big numbers this year. I just think we've all talked about the, the history, the track record of first year tight ends, not a lot of major impact guys uh, in recent years. But I, I also think about this group is it looks really strong on paper now, but not as much. But last year they had a lot of talent at the tight end. You know, they had Lacoste, uh, Ryan Malik, obviously from from the Jersey Shore, and all guys all got hurt at the end of the summer. And you went from basically having this log jam where it looks like that kind of fullback tight end group uh, they were going to make some some tough cuts to they really had all the decisions made for them because you know Malik got waved injured, Lacoste goes on IR, Nikita Willett goes on IR, like Will all Johnson the span too. of 48 out. Will Johnson, too. So it looks really good on paper now, but and it looks like the Giants are going to have, you know, like so let's be honest, so like whether it's Will Ty or it's Matt Lacoste, if they have to release one, wave one of those guys, they're going to be parting ways with a player that we've spent a lot of time talking about over the past few years. Obviously, Ty has had a lot more on-field production. Lacoste has been kind of snake-bitten with injuries, but he's always looked promising, and that's why he's been a kind of a prominent figure in the off-season program and in the training camp. But again, I just think it, it looks really talented and, and deep right now, but as we saw last year, injuries can change everything in a span of a day or two. It also looks a bit predictable, Dan. And I remember last year we talked a lot about how predictable the Giants' offense was, and they used the same formation all the time. You just kind of knew it was coming, even though they had some talent there. If you know, if you look at it, if Red Ellison's going to be more of a blocking tight end, and Evan Ingram's going to be the pass catching tight end, do you think that's a challenge here for McAdoo to try to figure out how to make it so when those guys are on the field in their particular sets, the defense doesn't know exactly what's coming? I mean, I would say so if they're going to come out and run the same 11 personnel they did last year where it's only one tight end on the field. But the reason I'm not thinking it's going to go that way is just the different formations they've used. They've used a lot of two tight end sets. So if Ellison and Engram are out there, you're not tipping your hand either way and you're kind of hedging your bets. You have a good receiving tight end, you have a good blocking tight end. Um, so I, I think that they have some versatility there and the fact that they're not going to just come out and run the same formation. Because again, yeah, if they're coming out an 11 personnel all the time with one or the other, then you would start to probably see some tendencies. And the other thing is, they're moving guys around a ton. They kind of did this last year in the preseason, and it didn't really work. They tried Will Ty and Larry Donnell at fullback, and they, they just aren't very good blockers, and it just never really materialized. But they have been lining Elliston up in the backfield a bit, Lacoste in the backfield, even Engram. And then Engram, they move everywhere. I mean, he's, he's out wide sometimes, and, and Marshall might be inside of him, and they're using a lot of motion. So uh, they're, they're throwing a lot of different looks out there in camp. And now, again, they might narrow that down once they get to the season, see what works, see what guys are comfortable with. But it's encouraging that they're not just coming out, lining up in the same formation 90% of the time, at least in practice, and just running the same plays that they did last year. It seems like there's a lot more diversity of the offense, and I think that was a, a big focus of the offseason, and you need the personnel for it. Uh, I'm still not one of these believers that they had no choice but to run 11 personnel last year, but I think it's easier to mix it up when you have confidence that Evan Ankrum can do a lot of different things, Red Ellison can do a lot of different things. So uh, I don't think it'll be as predictable as last year just because they're going to have more variety to how they deploy uh, their personnel.
Yeah, and if they have that and the offensive line does its job, James, they should be able to run the ball a little bit more effectively than last year. I'm looking at the offensive line depth chart right now. There's no surprise on it right now, at least of the starters. It's Flowers, Pugh, Richburg, Jerry Hart from left to right. That's, I think, what everyone expected. But, James, you had a piece uh, in a mailbag on NJ.com talking about whether the guys at right guard and right tackle, the right side, the backups, the guys that are here maybe to push Jerry and Hart if they have any chance of taking these jobs. What, what do you think about the right side and maybe the guys behind Jerry and Hart right now? Yeah, I'm, I know a lot of fans want to see it happen, but I'm just not seeing it. I, I think Adam Bisnawati, you know, he's looked, he's a promising rookie, but I just haven't seen a player that is, I, in my opinion, looks like he's ready to start this year. Uh, my guess is that at this point that Bisnawati will probably be the, the lineman that's inactive most weeks. Uh, on game day. That's just my read very early on, you know, 10 days in the camp or whatever. And on right guard, John Jerry, you know, had a pretty good year last year and they re-signed him to a three-year deal. I just don't see DJ Fluker, even though the fans are so excited about him. I don't really see DJ Fluker getting much of a chance to, to take John Jerry's job from him, much less actually go out and do it. And I, I'm intrigued to see what Dan has to say, but I just don't – we've seen Fluker take some snaps at right tackle, but it's only been in like walkthrough or like half-line run drills, and it's never been with the starting group. They've kind of got him with the second and third teamers. So I just think that maybe something changes during the season because of performance or injury. But right now, I, I think the line's pretty much locked in. You know, We know Flowers is the left tackle. Pew and Richburg are givens. I don't really see how John Jerry and Bobby Hart aren't going to be the week one starters unless there's an injury. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, like you said, they haven't they haven't run out a different first team line other than Brett Jones. Somewhat strangely, he's been getting some snaps at Western Rich, Richburg. McAdoo says that's just part of uh, a plan to rest Richburg, who obviously had the injury last year. I don't think that there's any chance that Jones is going to overtake him. But that's really been the only position where there's been any really mixing and matching. Like you said, the other guys are all locked in. And, you know, unless something drastic happens in the preseason or obviously injury, but if, say, Bobby Hart looks terrible in the preseason, then maybe you speed up the process and get DJ Fluker more looks at right tackle or you, you really give Biznawadi a look. But I think assuming things are, are pretty, you know, on the level during the preseason, they don't have any plans to change anything. Like you said, maybe if, again, the performance dips during the season, now you can work Fluker more at right tackle in practice and, and give him a shot. But uh, the plan definitely seems to be to keep these same five guys. I agree with you that Jerry has kind of uh, locked down that right guard job. And even when he went out uh, for a couple of plays in a practice, uh, they put Adam Geddes yeah. in a right guard, not even Fluker. So I think the Fluker excitement uh, is understandable. Former first-round pick, huge guy. He's super excited to be here. Um, but it hasn't really matched up with how the coaches seem to perceive him. Now, he's new. Maybe they're taking him along slowly. Uh, but you only have so many practices and so many preseason games. Uh, you'd like to see him get some first-team reps if you really believe he's going to overtake these guys. So, uh, to this point, nothing I've seen indicates that that's you know, a real possibility. Yeah, I was just going to say, I kind of go back to what happened last year, where at the start of training camp, Ben McAdoo was adamant that Bobby Hart was competing with Marshall Newhouse for the right tackle job. And it, it was just it was a ridiculous assertion because we never saw Bobby Hart take any first team snaps. And I feel like we're kind of back at this point, you know, with, with the exception of Brett Jones, we haven't seen any mixing or matching with the first team offensive line. And I feel like to expect DJ Fluker to go from no work with the starters to stealing John Jerry's job from him after the guy's basically been a giant starting right guard for like in the last three years, more or less. I mean, I, I just don't see it coming together in the span of a couple of weeks. I don't see 
for there to be a competition, the Giants have to facilitate one, and they haven't shown any signs that they're willing to facilitate one at any of their uh, offensive line jet spots at this point. Yeah, they haven't. This is this seems. And I agree with you guys. This seems like the offensive line, and I, I think Giants fans are just trying to find something because they don't love this offensive line. But I'm, I'd be surprised too if when they run out there in Dallas on Sunday night of Week One that these aren't the five guys barring an injury. Now, speaking of injury, James, we saw last week. You guys were all over it. The video, writing about it. Seems like everything is is calmed down and things are going to be okay. But there was a scare out there in East Rutherford, and. Um, it just it went like a wildfire through social media when I saw you guys post the video of Sterling Shepard when he went down. Take us back to that, James. What happened and just what was the feeling there and how long did it take for everyone to kind of realize this was going to be OK? Yeah, I, I, I did. I don't I didn't see it. I was on, you know, the Giants. If you've ever been to East Rutherford for a training camp, there's there's three practices kind of spread out behind the facility. I was looking at the linemen, one of the far fields. Uh, I was—I don't really understand why everyone got so bent out of shape uh, about the whole thing. I mean, they had a practice. It was open to the public. Sterling Shepard was, by all indications, in a lot of pain, and he was put on a cart, and he was driven inside the building. So I think people reported that. I know people got all bent out of shape about the, the, the tears thing. I thought that kind of was a, a little silly. Uh, but I felt like within you know two hours, basically the Giants had, you know, first NFL, you know, someone had told NFL Network what the situation was, and then the Giants confirmed it when McAdoo spoke after practice. So I, I don't really know why people were were kind of getting so uh, up in arms about everything. I, I felt everything was pretty responsible. You know, he got carted off, and yes, during training camp when a guy gets hurt, just because he's they usually cart him off just because. You know, why have a guy who's banged up walk that far of a distance? I get all that. But at the same time, it's not like we can just sit there and ignore that he was had, was carted off. I mean, you just report it. And then you report what McAdoo said, and then we kind of all moved on. So uh, definitely a scare for the Giants. Uh, I thought it was blown out of proportion by some. Uh, but, you know, obviously they, they need Sterling Shepard and – you know, if they don't, if they didn't have him, they'd have to start kind of twisting around with with their offensive alignment, and that kind of leads you down a path you don't want to go on. The thing that was shocking is that uh, he was carted off, and then he's back two days later. It was almost a Dwayne Harris type moment for anyone who you know is aware of Dwayne's history. Uh, talking about dodging a bullet, and. I know, you know, it just makes sense. A guy hurts his leg. You're going to take him off on the cart because why make him limp, you know, 50 yards to the building. But Tavares King rolled his ankle the next day and he limped to the th- to the uh, facility and he hasn't been back on the field yet. So the cart, I don't care who you are, it, it does raise red flags and it is going to make some concerns. And the fact that he clearly was in a lot of pain, the, the fact that it was a non-contact drill, everything did align that this looks like it's bad. Again, as James said, no one really reported that. I mean, the, the tears thing, I think, made people believe that, he was because you know, you're probably not crying because you're in pain. You're crying because you're afraid your season's over, if that's the case. But uh, Shepard made a, a point to say that there were no tears, and um, obviously let's take his word for it on that. I don't know why he would uh, you know, lie about that. Um, but yeah, it's just they, they totally dodged a bullet. The fact that he's back on the practice field on Saturday. Now, granted, he didn't go through the, the full workout. It would be insane to to do that so shortly after an injury. But he was he was stretching and working out with trainers on the side. And anyone who's ever rolled an ankle to be back two or three days later, it was pretty impressive that he was, he was so far along. So I think. You know, he probably could play on Friday. I don't know if they will, uh, but nothing health-wise would really keep him out other than just being precautionary. So, uh, you know, dodged a major bullet uh, right out of the gates there in camp. 
All right, guys, let's jump to the defensive side of the ball. I'm looking at the depth chart now, and you guys are mentioning rest and, and Brett Jones taking some snaps from Richburg on the offensive line at center. And, James, I'm looking at the defensive end group, and we know the two stars are you know two of the biggest reasons this Giants defense is what it is, Pierre, Paul, and Vernon. But go back to last year with those guys, and they just played snap after snap after snap, and they basically never came off the field. When you look at the guys beyond Pierre, Paul, and Vernon, the backups at defensive end, Okwara, Odigizua, Wynn, and there's about four others behind those guys, give me one or two you think could take some snaps this year, and not because they want Pierre, Paul, and Vernon off the field, but just more of a maintenance thing, and maybe one of these guys earns some snaps. I definitely think Romeo Okwara could be in line. I mean, he started the final five games last year, obviously, after JPP went down. I think he's in line. I think Kerry Wynn is one of those guys who I'm intrigued to see what happens with him. He's had a good camp so far. Uh, I look at, you know, restricted free agent. They tendered him that one point, you know, seven, nine, seven million dollar contract that he's supposed to play under this year. Uh, That's always been one that I've kind of looked at and wondered if the Giants are going to try to, you know, kind of knock that down at some point, just because, you know, Wynn is a guy who I think they only kind of really look at as a situational guy, you know, and he's not a great pass rusher. He's more of a, you know, he's a pretty good run defender. But I think Avery Moss, uh, fifth round pick, I, I believe a fifth round pick, uh, yep, out of Youngstown State, uh, he's looked really good. I think he's one of those guys who, if they can, they're gonna, if they can find the right number of snaps for him to play and put him in the right positions, he could be one of those guys who comes out as a rookie and has five or six sacks, just because I think he's pretty explosive off the edge. He's been making some plays, knocking down some passes. Devin Taylor, to me, is a really fascinating player to watch. He's six foot seven, uh, 15 career sacks in Detroit. He's one of those guys who I, I've written this. He sort of reminds me a little bit of the situation that we had with Ruben Randall when he went to the Eagles last year. Everything about this guy, his age, his injury history, his production, screams that he should have been signed somewhere for, you know, seven or eight million dollars a year. There was no interest in him. He took basically the, the veteran minimum with, I think, $40,000 guaranteed that comes to the Giants late in the spring. Uh, so he's one of those guys who's kind of teeter-tottering on, you know, the, the brink of his career at this point. I think he, if the Giants can get something out of him in a reserve role where he plays 10, 15 snaps a game, gets those guys off the field, they may have struck some gold here. But that being said, he's been a little, been a little dinged up in camp, and we haven't necessarily seen a lot out of him yet. He's a guy I'm really going to be watching when we get to Friday in the first preseason game. Dan, I'm looking at linebackers. The one thing that jumps to me as I look at this group, Kennard, Casillas, who we mentioned is going to join us on the 28th for our live show. Uh, but the middle, it, it's it's B.J. Goodson's time, a year after the Giants took him in the draft. Yeah, I mean, this, this you know, maybe cornerback uh, is next is next in line, but cornerback at the top is so heavy. Linebacker is by far the thinnest position on the team. And you look at just some of the names after the starters, and none of these starters are, you know, have proven to be Pro Bowl caliber players, but Stansley Maponga and Deontay Skinner, Mark Hertzlick, Curtis Grant. I mean, these are guys that are not exactly household names, even for Giants fans. Calvin Munson. You could, you could yeah. put these guys in a lineup, but I think most football fans have no idea who they are. Right. So, I mean, they, they were very healthy at linebacker last year, and they're going to need that to continue. But I think the guy that is definitely exciting is B.J. Goodson because Kelvin Shepard, I know pro football focus grades aren't everything, but he was graded 83rd out of 86 uh, qualifying linebackers last year. That that tells a lot. And again, even if you don't put a lot of fo- uh, you know emphasis on PFF stats, if you watch the games, it, it pretty much measures up. He just didn't make an impact. I mean, to be a starting middle linebacker on a great defense and just 
not, not make a single impact play anyone can think of. Even his tackles tended to be, you know, four or five yards downfield. I'm not trying to drag Kelvin Shepard, but uh, there's a reason why he's out of work still. He just didn't didn't show anything last year. And Goodson already in the first, you know, seven practices of camp looks the part. I mean, now we'll see if he can handle because, yeah, you know, it's one thing to do it in practice when you kind of know what's coming. Now when teams are game planning and they're obviously going to try and find his weaknesses and will he be able to get the defense lined up? Will he be able to, you know, cover and all, all that type of thing? We'll find out. But just in terms of a physical, athletic presence in the middle of defense, he's clearly a huge upgrade. And you can even see it. You know, he's not the most outspoken guy, but he gave a press conference last week, and he was by far more confident and assertive than he's been. And I think that all kind of goes hand in hand. His confidence is growing. He feels like a leader. It's interesting to hear so many veteran teammates say he's setting the tone. Uh, you know, that that's a big accomplishment right out of the gates because you need your middle linebacker to be that type of guy. And I never really felt like Shepard was. He was kind of just a guy – and I'm not saying Goodson's going to be an all pro in his, his first year or anything like that, but I just think he has more of a presence there. I think athletically, like I say, he's going to be a big upgrade. So as long as he can handle the leadership and the mental part of the job, I think that's uh, kind of a sneaky spot that could be much better than last season. Cause again, they just didn't really get much, uh, you know, from that spot last year. Well, if Joe, they improve there, it just, it just adds to how good this defense could be. James, go ahead. I was just going to say one thing you said that linebacker group is thin and it is you look at that thing. This is why, and we don't know for sure, this is why it plays a large part in why I think JT Thomas is still with this team, you know, on pup trying to get back on the field. JT Thomas, for all his injuries, if he's healthy, he's a pretty good fourth or fifth linebacker and special teams player. And obviously, I don't know if the Giants want to pay him, you know, $4 million this season, which I think is what they're scheduled to pay him, or the, the cap hit is for, I think it's a $3 million salary, but if you have JT Thomas on this team, I think it's fair to argue that he is a better player than Deontay Skinner, Curtis Grant, Stansley Maponga if healthy. I think that's why they've kind of they're sticking with Thomas because they are that thin there and they realize that if he is somehow healthy and able to be on the field and produce, he's a better option than some of the guys they have. But man, watching him work out on the side, he does not look anywhere near being ready to play. So uh, I think that the time has probably come where a decision is going to have to be made uh, with J.D. Thomas because it's almost like a year on his ACL. And, you know, guys, 20 days. Yeah, it's, it's, he has not been in uniform very often. Um, and again, just watching him on the side, it doesn't look like he's even close. Maybe he surprises us, but uh, it does not look really good for him being ready to, to make this roster because, again, he's going to have to get on the field and show something. And if he's still just wearing shorts on the side working with a trainer, uh, it's hard to show what you need to do to, to make, a, make the roster. James, the cornerback position, we know how good it is. I, mean, I look at the top three guys, and especially if Eli Apple's ready to take a second-year jump, everyone always likes to talk about who has the best slate of receivers. Well, the other side matters, too. I mean, I, I don't think there's a better slate of three cornerbacks in the NFL if Apple takes that jump than Jenkins, Apple, and Rodgers, Cromartie. It's really good. Beyond those guys, there's a lot of youth there. There's a lot of names that probably unfamiliar to the average football fan. If and probably when the Giants have an injury at cornerback, Who's the next man up in your mind? Who's the most important guy of all these guys beyond Jenkins, Apple, Rogers, Cromartie? It's tough to say. I feel that uh, obviously what I like to hear what Dan has to think. I think that on the whole, Michael Hunter has been the guy of the of the other cornerbacks who's impressed me the most. I think Dante Dion has also had some really good moments during this camp. The one guy I think that could be very important. And, you know, he's had some moments in camp, but he's, you know, he, he even admits that he's kind of still settling in at cornerback is Michael Thompson. I mean, they, they have him listed 
as the second cornerback behind Apple on the depth chart, which again we said is unofficial, semi-official, however you want to call it. But the Giants, they're they drafted him in the fifth round two years ago. He's been had his first two years is kind of completely derailed by injuries. They they seem to like him. They've moved him to cornerback. It's now a group where there's not a lot of depth. I think there's a very good chance that as long as he can stay healthy and produce a little bit, that they're going to give him a shot as one of the backup cornerbacks on this roster, maybe at the expense of a guy like Valentino Blake, who has been kind of banged up so far in camp. And honest, he hasn't been very impressed when he has been out there. But I think Hunter's now the clear leader to be the fourth cornerback. But I do wonder if Michael Thompson is going to be able to push himself into that conversation. Yeah, I definitely agree on Hunter. I mean, as long as he doesn't have, you know, uh, you know, lay an egg in the preseason, he's the number four corner on this team. He had a great spring, and he's come back and only built on that. Uh, it's always a good sign when you're getting singled out by the defensive coordinator and the head coach when, you know, they're asked a general question about, you know, what young players or what young corners stood out. He's always the first name they mention. Um, he's really, you know, made big strides for a guy who was on the practice squad most of the last season. So you never want to say a guy's a lock a week into camp, but if he continues to play like this, he's certainly going to be a lock. And he, you know, like I said, he's pretty much locked into that number four corner spot. And I'm still, I agree. Michael Thompson's intriguing and, and he's a special teams guy. And, and he could almost fill that Leon Hall role. If you need to have a guy bounce back and forth between safety and corner, that, that adds a little bit of value. I'm still not totally convinced the fifth corner on this team is, is actually on the roster right now because, um, there, there's going to be some cuts. There might be a guy out there that they can grab late if, if no one really steps up and does seize that role. Um, you know, they have Valentino Blake, like you said, he's been banged up and hasn't shown a heck of a lot. So I just wouldn't totally close the door on the idea that they could maybe just grab someone off the scrap heap if someone doesn't emerge besides Hunter to uh, kind of fill out that depth chart. All right, let's finish our, our depth chart conversation here with the kicking battle that uh, I saw you guys write about Mike Nugent last week that is part of this thing now. James, do we have an official kicking battle? Is Mike Nugent just here um, to give a little push? Where are we with the two Giants kickers? Great question. I'm honestly, as I tweeted this when it happened, a little kind of not confused, but I just think the Giants obviously around the draft time, Jerry Reese said, we'll probably go add a veteran kicker. I think he even said to Mike Francesa that, you know, I, I want to add a veteran kicker. And then all of a sudden, you know, Ben McAdoo and, and Tom Quinn, the special teams coordinator, basically went, you know, went out of their way to pump up Aldrich Rosas. He's having a great camp. Uh, everyone's praising him. I think Zach Diossi said he's had like, you know, extremely memorable offseason program. And Quinn was talking about how, you know, Having two kickers sounds good, but it, it divvies up reps and guys don't get enough work. And all of a sudden, like a couple days into camp, it was always the plan that they were going to bring in a veteran kicker. And it just seemed to me like, once again, the Giants, they kind of say one thing and then they do another, and but then they want to pretend that they never really said what they said in the first place. So I guess it's a battle. I mean, Nugent is a proven guy. I, I do find it kind of odd that they wouldn't, pursue any of the veteran kickers that were available in free agency and they really had no contact with I mean Nugent got run out of town in Cincinnati last year uh, he's not a guy who's coming in here off a good year so I don't really understand why they would choose to bring him in per se when they could have gone after veteran kickers back in free agency you know guys like Nick Folk Chandler Catanzaro who, who had a little bit more success last year but this is where they are. I still think they want Rosas to win the job. I still think he's the favorite at this point. And I think it's also possible they could get to the end of the preseason and dump both of these guys and go after someone. I, I mean, for instance, uh, ex-Eagle Cody Parkey, I'm pretty sure that 
they have a situation in Cleveland where, you know, they drafted uh, Zane Gonzalez, a kid out of Arizona State. If he wins that job, you know, the, I don't believe Parkey is a vested veteran. So the Browns are probably going to try to trade him for a seventh round pick. So it could be a situation like with Brad Wing in 2015 where the Giants kind of dump a conditional pick someplace to bring in a kicker and let their other two guys go. I've always liked Parkey. I look at his numbers. You said that, James, 84%. I mean, he's not special. He's not a you know Hall of Famer, but he's he's good. If the Giants did a kicker, right? That, that makes some sense. Uh, Dan, what do you make of this kicking competition? Yeah, I think it's interesting, uh, and I wrote about this this weekend, just the, the how fragile it is, job security in the NFL. Because Rosas was the only kicker on this roster from, you know, whatever it was, January 12th, whenever the season ended, uh, through last week. And as James said, he was getting talked up at every turn. And then Jadar Johnson, an undrafted free agent safety, abruptly retires two days into camp and suddenly there's a roster spot open and Mike Nugent's in the next day. If Johnson doesn't retire, which is you know obviously pretty rare for a, a rookie to do two days into camp, they don't bring Nugent in. I don't see them cutting a guy just to, to bring a guy who's been off, you know, on the street all offseason, bring him in suddenly. So uh, the competition just got real. Rosa said he knew it was always a possibility. Like James said, there's been kind of some mixed messages, but you know you have to be kind of naive to think that they're just going to hand the job to Rosas. He knew that even if he wasn't competing with someone in camp, the other 31 teams, whoever got cast off there, was going to be his competition. But it does change things a little bit when there's the, I think John Munson was got a great picture for us. Rosas is taking a kick, and in the background, Nugent is you know pantomiming, doing the same exact thing, you know, going through the paces. That adds a little pressure. I think it's a good thing. I'm surprised it almost took this long because, again, Rosas has zero track record. I mean, he kicked at Southern Oregon, an NIAI school, um, has done nothing in the NFL, and you're talking about a Super Bowl contending team. I think it's a good thing to make sure this kid's going to be ready, and the more pressure you can put on him is, is going to pale in comparison to, you know, kicking down in Texas uh, in Dallas in, in week one. So. Uh, I don't think it's a huge surprise I brought someone in. Again, the circumstances made it happen a little sooner. Um, but I still think Rosas has the upper hand. You know, again, Nugent isn't someone who set the world on fire last year. Uh, I think Rosas is ahead right now. So it's going to come down to what he does in the games. Obviously, you can't base on what he does in practice or, or what he does in the weight room. It's all going to be what he does in these four games. It will be interesting to see how they break up the kicks because, you know, how many field goal attempts are there going to be in, in preseason games? So. Uh, he's going to have to make everyone last because we remember last year, uh, Tom Obarski had the opportunity of a lifetime when, when Josh Brown was out. And I think, I think he missed one PAT in a preseason game, and that was it. So <laughs> the opportunities don't last long, so he's, he's certainly got to make the most of them when he gets a shot. Yeah, so I don't have get, any. When you get one of those, you, you got to take advantage. Go ahead, James. I say I don't have any issue. I think Dan's right. Like, it makes sense for the Giants to bring a veteran kicker, and Rosas has accomplished nothing in his NFL career. He was in camp with the Titans last year, and that's it. My whole thing is, if you're the Giants and, and you're building up and you're trying to contend for the Super Bowl, I just don't understand why you just don't spend an extra you know, $750,000 and you just go sign Nick Folk in March and have this thing be locked in and, and done with. I just don't understand why they kind of sent one message and then went another way and, and talked up Rosas. And look, the, the kid has done nothing before or after Nugent arrived to lose his job, I mean, he still made every kick. And then to bring in Mike Nugent, a guy who really was not good last year, just kind of on a whim seemingly, it, I just thought it, this once again was just kind of a case with the Giants. Just, I'm sure they have a plan internally, and believe me, they, they could care less what I think. But externally, it, it looked like they were just kind of flying by the seat of their pants a little bit. 
Well, I think they want Rosas to be the guy because I think they, they're intrigued by having a young leg, too, because even when Josh Brown was here for his accuracy, was he didn't have a great leg. And Robbie Gold was 100% on field goals last year. Great that he missed a few extra points. But again, just didn't have a lot of range. So I think they're really excited and intrigued by having a young leg with a powerful leg. And they've had these guys who lost competitions here in the past and went on and have had good seasons. And now teams are set at their kickers for a long time with these guys. So I think that's what they want. I don't think they want to go stopgap year to year, but again, you run the risk uh, of an unproven guy getting out there and, and the knees might be shaking a little bit uh, on Sunday night in Dallas, where at least with a Nugent or Robbie Gold or Nick Folk, whoever you want to say, uh, they at least have been through that situation, have a little more faith. Uh, but I think the, the long-term upside is probably what they're looking at, that this kid is young, has a strong leg, like I said, has done everything they wanted to see. So uh, maybe they have the kicker for the next 15 years if it works out, or maybe they have the kicker for the next 15 days if he shanks a couple in the preseason. I guess we'll have to just wait and see. It's funny, as we're going through this conversation about, and like you just said, Dan, 15 years or 15 seconds, I think back to, I'm trying to remember what year it was. It was a few years ago when the Giants had Josh Brown and Brandon McManus competing for the job. I believe those were the two, and they chose Josh Brown. And, and for many reasons, it was the wrong decision. What happened with Josh Brown last year? And obviously, McManus has turned into one of the best kickers in all of football. I saw the other day, he kicked a 73-yarder in practice for the Broncos. And, uh, you you know, the Giants are good. And it would stink for them if, if a kicking issue lost them a couple games or derailed what could be uh, a special year. But obviously, that's one thing we'll keep our eye on. Game one, you guys will be there Friday night. Giants, Steelers at MetLife. Uh, let's wrap this episode up, and then we'll remind everyone of our 100th episode, a big thing we're doing on the 28th. Let's uh, give us give me each couple things from you guys, what you're looking for, maybe a player or just a theme you're looking for. James, we'll start with you. Friday night, MetLife, Steelers coming in. What are you looking for? Obviously, offensive line. I think that we're not going to be able to tell too much about it because, remember, last year – they don't really game plan on the offensive line. We got told that for a month when they were struggling. Uh, the struggles ended up carrying over to the regular season. But obviously, I think the offensive lines would be something to watch. And those you know, those position battles we talked about, you know, cornerback, how do those reserve guys who are going to get a lot of playing time in the second, third, fourth quarter show? Uh, special teams, too. I, I just want to see how guys perform on the various special teams units because that's where a lot of jobs are going to be won and lost on this roster. And the quarterbacks, I think, look, my assumption is that Davis Webb will play at some point on Friday against the Steelers. And I think it's going to be kind of an exciting moment. I'm intrigued to see how fans in the building react to it and how the kid does. Because, I mean, he's the potential future of the franchise. And I think that he kind of gets sidetracked because he's not getting a lot of work in practice. And, and people kind of forget about him a little bit. But when he's out there, I mean, it's going to kind of be something to see for the first time in a while. Dan, how about from you? What are you watching Giants-Steelers Friday night? Yeah, I mean, most of the same stuff James said. I think the quarterbacks will be really intriguing because if memory serves, Eli didn't play in the opener last year, right, James? No. Right, so, I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of the backups. So we'll find out just how official this depth chart is. Does Josh Johnson get the first snaps? Because he and Geno have been alternating throughout camp. I would think Josh Johnson maybe just be, you know, by experience and seniority, he was here last year. I, I think, you know, he probably does get the start, but that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then, yeah, how much does he play? Does it split evenly with Geno? Because the other thing that I think handicaps the backup quarterbacks a little bit in practice, we, you know, we produce the stats every day and try to put context to them because it's tough when you're playing with the second and third team because uh, I think it was Geno had a great pass to Khalid Abdullah, who's probably the sixth string running back. 
Uh, it would have been a touchdown on a little swing pass on, on Saturday and it bounced right off his chest and he drops it and it goes as incompletion. You don't, you know, get a touchdown. So, uh, it'll be good to see these guys maybe get some reps and maybe Odell won't play, but I would assume he's going to be some of the top offensive players to be out there. So it'll be interesting to see how they do, um, you know, with the players that they would actually be playing with if something did happen to Eli. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that breaks down with Josh and Geno. And then definitely the Davis Webb factor. Do they hold him out and, and say, you know, we're going to really ease him in? They throw him into the fire. I mean, I think fourth quarter, uh, the fourth quarter of preseason games will be more interesting around here. It's been a long time, assuming that's when Davis Webb will get some reps, uh, you know, this summer. So uh, it's fun to have a little bit of intrigue in the quarterback because the past couple of years, you knew it was just Eli was a starter. Ryan Nassib was the backup, and you just hoped Eli didn't get hurt in the preseason. Now you want to see who's going to win the backup battle, and you want to see – uh, can Davis Webb take what he's done on the practice field and show you something in these games? Because, you know, God knows if he ever looks good in the preseason, people will be banging that drum, you know, even louder for him to take over as the backup. But uh, I think it'll just be interesting to, to get a measuring stick, you know, where he actually, uh, you know, measures up at this point in his career. Yeah, I know for me, Friday night, 10, 1030, I'm probably falling asleep on my couch. If Davis Webb comes in, I probably, my eyes open up a little bit. I, I certainly want to watch that. Guys, this was a fun episode, number 97 in the books, and that means just a few away. So just to remind you guys, and make the, put this in the calendar on your phone right now. Monday, August 28th, 7 p.m., the three of us are going to be at Red's Restaurant and Bar in Karlstadt, giving away tickets for a regular season game, autographed footballs. We're going to have Jonathan Casillas with us. It is our 100th episode of Talk is Cheap, and uh, we're doing a live podcast there. I I'm excited. James, I can't wait for this. I cannot wait either. It should be a lot of fun out and about with the fans. Talk is Cheap. The I, I don't. I think with the original Giants podcast, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in what we do here. A lot of fans. I appreciate all the listeners, and I just thought that 100th episode, it's such a big event. You know, you don't tape that in a broom closet. You go out, you do it big, and, and hopefully we can do that on the 28th up in Carlstadt. That's right. And now, Dan, I'm excited. James excited. And, and James just uh, gave away that we do these podcasts in a broom closet. Now everyone knows. <laughs> that explains the sound quality some weeks maybe. But, no, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be fun. Uh, and it'll be a good way to, to meet some of these fans who have been, you know, loyal listeners for however 100 episodes. It spans a couple of years. So I think it'll be a really cool uh, experience. And we'll probably be able to announce more as, as we get closer to it. Yep, and it's good timing because the season will just be a couple weeks away. Everyone, thank you for listening to episode 97. We'll be back next week to talk about that first preseason game and where this Giants team is as summer moves along right here on NJ.com. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Talk is cheap. Thanks for listening.